we go <clears throat> turn to this chapter, friends, I'm just going to read a verse from the first letter of Romans, the epistle to the Romans, chapter 1, a familiar verse there, verse 16, says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I want to speak this morning, friends, as we are gathered and preparing for the Lord's table and seeking to climb that mountain of ordinance. I'm wanting to ask a question of you all. I hope you can answer, or I hope we will help you to answer. It's about identity. Is your identity clear? Is your identity clear before God and before men? Oh, you say, well, I'm a sinner. I know that's what you are, friends. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking who you are. And to answer who you are, you must tell me about who you're related to. If you look at your passport, there's a surname there which you have to declare because it identifies who you belong to, what family you belong to, as well as what nation you belong to. When we were over in South Africa and um, our children getting ready for higher education, they had to decide. Five of them were born in South Africa. So were they going to be applied for a South African passport and South African citizenship? Or would they choose to take on the nationality of their parents and come back here? They had to identify themselves as you also have to friends, what is your identity? Is it something debatable? Are you trying to be a citizen of two countries, dual nationality of heaven and earth, of the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of heaven? No, friends. Is your identity clear? That's what I'm asking. And that's what Christ is asking at every communion season. He's asking you, make your identity clear. Why are you not making it clear? Are some of you holding back? Can you give a reason for holding back? Or do you want to make your identity clearly a Christian? Because you were baptized, weren't you? And we're talking initially about baptism today because baptism is the stepping stone to the Lord's table. And so if we begin with baptism, 
Then we're approaching the door of the Lord's table. Um, When John the Baptist came, he didn't go to Jerusalem to baptize. He went down, down to the Jordan. The Jordan was 1,500 feet below sea level. It was the lowest place on earth. That's where he went to find people who were willing to confess their sin and identify themselves with the kingdom of God. He came preaching the kingdom of God and he opened it to those who began there with the provision of sin being washed away so that from there they could climb up these about 3,000 feet from there up to Jerusalem and enter in, you could say, into the kingdom. And Christ was among those that came down, down there to Jordan. When we were over in the Holy Land and uh, we were shown a place, they said, this is where Jesus baptized. You know where it was? It was up at the north of the Sea of Galilee where the Jordan enters the Sea of Galilee. That's not the place. It says clear, clearly, hear clearly. It says, they went to him, all Judea and all the region about Jordan. It was down there, just east of Jerusalem, under the shadow of the holy city. So how can friends, if you are, have a concern, if you're not one of these careless people that think nothing of who you are, then let us seek to answer your concern. Are you one of those that said, I'd like to make my identity clear before my fellow men, before my workmates, before my school friends, before my parents, before my community, yes, and before heaven. Well, we look at four things, friends, that may help us, you, gain this passport which opens the door of heaven to you. First of all, there's an identified man. There's a man to whom these people came. He's the very man chosen of God to baptize Jesus himself. He came to prepare the way and uh, he is uh, he has three things about him that will that that he that you are used for you to be prepared to identify with Christ. First of all, he was a Levite. He was a Levite. He was of the holy tribe set apart for the service of God and for the worship of God. We know a story from the first chapter of Luke where we read of Zechariah, his father, serving and ministering in the temple 
and leading the worship of God's people. And suddenly there appeared from heaven a messenger with a special message for him. I'll just read what it says there. Came to pass while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course according to the custom of the priest's office his lot was to burn incense. When he went to the temple of the Lord and the whole multitude of people were praying without at the time of incense and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zacharias saw him whose trouble and fear fell upon him but the angel said to him Fear not, Zacharias, thy prayer is heard. Thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and he shall be called. They shall call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness. He shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. This is the man. And God still uses his servants to bring you to that place where Christ identifies himself with us. And he asks you to identify yourself totally with him. He was a Levite. He was a prophet. Malachi predicted this man. In the fourth chapter he says, Remember ye the law of Moses my servant which I commanded unto him in Horeb. For all Israel with the statutes and judgments, behold I will send you Elijah the prophets before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children. And the heart of the children to their fathers. And so this is what, this is the message that of John the Baptist. You will turn your heart to identify with those, perhaps your parents, perhaps others, whom you know are Christ's and are Clearly the people of God. He was a prophet. The third thing about him that we will help us. We're told that he was the friend. In fact he said himself. That he was the friend of the bridegroom. Wouldn't you like to meet John? Well John is still speaking to us. Today to help us. Make our identity clear. This is what he says in John 3, 29. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He that cometh from above, is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. So he was able to identify himself. He was the friend of the bridegroom. Our friends, 
Jesus spoke of friends, didn't he? He said, you are my friends. If you do whatsoever, I command you. If you do this in remembrance of me. There's not only a man here, there is a, a river. There's an identified man. There's what I've called an improved river. You know, the old divines used to say that we are to improve our baptism. They, des they described the confession of our faith uh, as, we be as we profess our faith in Christ, as improving your baptism. That's why we're going to baptism this morning, because when you go to the Lord's table, you're improving. You're going back to that which was done for you and to you by your parents eh, long ago, and you are now completing it. You're improving it at the river of baptism. Sorry, at the, at the, at the foot of the cross. You're improving your baptism. So let's see this river. We read here in Matthew that Jesus also came to Jordan. <clears throat> the river is also another point of identification. It's a river to which we all must come to find ourselves. First of all, this river was a boundary. You all know what a massive impediment it was to the whole nation of Israel. They were on one side of the river, the other side was the promised land. And they couldn't enter in unless they crossed this barrier. That comes to mind too in the case of Elisha. Remember, he was led across the river by his great mentor, Elijah. Excuse me. But how was he going to get back? He was there on the side that belonged to the heathen. And here he was called of God. And to enter into his ministry, he had to cross this river, which was probably in flood at the time, as it very often did. And so he was put to the test. And he had to take up the mantle of his spiritual father and cast it on the river. He took the mantle of Elijah and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. There's a suggestion here that they had to do it more than once. When he had also smitten the waters. It's as if the first time it didn't work, nothing happened. And here he was at this huge crisis. Sometimes we are like that, friends. We think, we come to communion and we say, this is the time. This will be my moment. 
and the communion passes and you fail. Fear takes hold and you fall back. But friends, there's another opportunity. Take that prophetic mantle, take that witness to the gospel and take it to the River Jordan to cross. It's a boundary in which your faith is being tested. These people, these adult people in the time of John the Baptist um, had to profess their faith at that river before they could be baptised. And so do we. We have to improve. We have to say, well, I believe in that baptism as this sign that I am bearing the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I can't go on living on the side of the world when I bear this holy name. It's been, I've been marked like the sheep getting their keel mark. I've been marked and yet I'm living as if I'm not marked. It's an inconsistency. It's a contradiction. I remember I was burdened like that. I was just a, a young boy. I was only 11 years old when I felt this conviction I must profess my faith. And there was some hesitation on my father's part until he asked Professor Finlayson, who was assisting, to interview me to see if I understood what I was asking for. And this was my burden. I wanted to be identified as a Christian, as a child of God. And I was allowed to cross the boundary. Friends, it's also, this river is also a, a passage. It was a remarkable way across when God intervened supernaturally and the Levites in the time of Joshua touched with their feet the edge of the flooded river carrying the Ark of the Covenant and the waters ceased to flow and a dry pathway was opened up for them. It was a miraculous passage open up, a supernatural event. And so, friends, we also need to know something. We need to have that passage that qualification of experiencing something of the Spirit's power in our own lives. Where is your record? Are you here saying, I've never felt the power of the gospel? Are you here saying, I've never known the strivings of the Spirit? Are you here saying, I've never been moved when I look at the cross of shame? Are you here saying, I don't understand why the Son of God should come and die for sinners? No, surely you can say something better today. Surely you've got something to confess, something to identify with because of these experiences you've had of the Spirit of God at work. It's a supernatural, it's a miraculous thing to pass, to go through this passage from death.
to life, and it must be confessed so that you can identify with those who are alive in Christ. This river is also a preparation. It was preparatory. The Lord Jesus was on his way now to the cross, and he must come to this river to be uh, to receive his ordination, uh, to receive <coughs> his identification <coughs> and the approval of heaven uh, before he was carried into the wilderness and before he entered into his ministry preaching the kingdom of God. And so, friends, when you were baptized, you also started that preparatory life. You've been living, friends, a preparatory life, preparing for the time when you could confess on your own account. Has it taken all this time? Has it taken all this time from that beginning to confess what began then, an improving river. As well as a river and a man, there is a dove, friends. And this dove also helps us with our identity. This, uh, this dove makes your identity clear if you're still confused. What does this dove tell us? Well, this dove, of course, is a symbol. It's a symbolic appearance of the Spirit of God, and it takes us all the way back to the days of Noah. And that dove that appeared to him as the floods began to subside. Here was Noah floating on a, an ocean that stretched, a shoreless ocean stretched around the world. What future was there for him? When the earth had returned to its primordial state, when the waters covered the earth and before the earth arose, was there any hope of a new start? The water was everywhere threatening them that they could perish if it, something didn't happen. And so this dove appeared over these threatening waters. It appeared with a leaf of new growth and new life from a plant rooted in a new earth. And so, friends, this is the message of that dove. John himself saw that dove, and no doubt others saw that spirit coming down as a dove from heaven. No doubt Peter saw it, and John, and these others who were there baptized of John. And um, their minds as Jews would go back eh, to the religious history and they would remember that dove 
who came over the threatening waters. You see, that water of Jordan was a symbol of death. And um, they were recognizing by going into that water that they deserved death. (coughs) Unless that water had also the power to wash away their sin. And perhaps when many of them came out of that, they, they realized this is only the first step. This is only the beginning. Something else has to happen. It's for the remission of sin, but is that enough? How can we live the life that we ought to live when the king is coming? John said, be prepared for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's why they washed. It was in preparation for the coming of the kingdom. And uh, so uh, they went through this, this might, you might say, into this threatening water. No doubt it was flooded, as at many other times. And um, <clears throat> probably they weren't swimmers, but they were called into the water to be baptized. And in the midst of that water, there was a dove appeared, as if God was saying, repeating the message of Noah. The message of peace. Remember when Noah came out of the ark onto the dry, new, dry world that um, he offered a sacrifice and uh, as he offered the sacrifice God declared that never again would he. He smelled a sweet savour and he said in his heart I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. And so this dove spoke of the removing of the curse, that there was hope now that there would be Jehovah's favour upon his people. Is that a message for you today? A message of uh, the anger assuaged, The God who declares his judgment upon your sin is satisfied and pacified. There's another thing of this dove, friends. It came down from heaven and alighted upon the man Christ Jesus. What was happening here? There was a a moment of unity between heaven and earth. The heaven opened and from heaven came down this being to settle upon earth. It was what we call an eschatological moment. It's a moment when eternity met with time and intimated to these poor expectant Jews, having confessed that they were sinners, that there was an eternity close to them, an eternity of favour and blessing that was within reach of them through this man who stood among them. Eternity became a possibility. Eternity became a promise to them through the unity that now existed between heaven and earth, which was previously widely separated and now was united in the person 
of Christ endued by the Spirit. And finally, friends, there, is, there was a voice. Are you getting a clear identity of who you are and what you should be? Is your identity clear? I remember again being in South Africa, going back there and spending a whole day in an office eh, trying to claim, reclaim my work permit to enter in as a recognised participant and occupant and inhabitant of South Africa. I laboured long, but again and again I was refused that permission to be recognised and identified as an inhabitant of that nation. Our friends, are you labouring to be identified as an inhabitant and a citizen of heaven? This is what Paul is able to declare. Our citizenship, he says in Philippians, is in heaven. That's what your baptism should be conveying to you. But are you improving it? Are you claiming? Are you laboring? I was refused. Ah, friend, you will not be refused if you come and identify yourself with the King, with the Son of God. And so there's a voice to clinch this whole identity. There's a voice that speaks, a voice for everyone to hear. One of these rare moments when the living God is addressing mankind who are waiting upon him as we are today. It's that voice that Hebrews says That voice which shook the earth. That voice that thundered. The whole earth must have shaken when that voice spoke. From above the clouds, from the opened clouds that day. So what did that voice say to us? What is it saying this morning? It's saying... It's identifying God as a father. It's not something that was really recognised in the Old Testament, but rarely in any case. But here, God is publicly, uncontradictably declaring that he is a father because he says, this is my son. You can't say, this is my son, without confessing that you are a father. And so, friends, this is what Christ, the coming of Christ, says to you. You have a father. You can say with other true believers, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This voice declared that God was a father of men because this was the man. Christ Jesus, the Father. Uh, The voice also ordained the Messiah. What was being said here was a repetition of that psalm that we sang when 
when uh, uh, David was inspired with the words, the prophetic words <clears throat> uh, of Sam, where he declares, This is my son, this day I have begotten thee. <clears throat> and so here was the uh, incarnate Son of God, the Son of Man. We, we, rising, emerging from the waters of baptism and uh, being ordained uh, and you could say anointed with his great mission to be your mediator, to be your high priest, to be your king. <clears throat> That's what he has been appointed and ordained and identified as. But are you acclaiming him as your king. Are you able to say with the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed. Or is the truth that you are ashamed? You're not willing. You're not willing to take this step. You're ashamed to face your fellows and say, I put everything, all my hope, <clears throat> My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The Messiah was ordained. And thirdly, friends, this intimates, that voice intimates <coughs> that the sacrifice was accepted. Why did Jesus <coughs> want to go into that water? Why was it needful to fulfill all righteousness that Christ should go into that river you could say it was a polluted river <coughs> because into that river had gone all these defiled sinners <clears throat> and now it was no better than the rivers of Abana and Farquhar. It, it was no longer a cleansing river, it was a polluting river. And when Christ went in, he was symbolically <coughs> taking on the pollution of his people and so becoming liable <clears throat> becoming liable to the judgment that these sins <clears throat> demanded <clears throat> and so this is what this voice is saying the father is saying I am well pleased I am pleased with what he has done. I'm pleased that he has taken on that awesome and painful and agony and anguish of Calvary's cross and all that will be required of him to take away the sin of the world. No wonder John's commentary was, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John identified Jesus and I want you to identify him today and say, Behold the Lamb of God that has taken away my sin and is taking away my sin. Amen. Let us pray. O living God,